Hi. It's so nice to be able to see your faces without thinking I'm breaking a rule. I can just look you in the eye and not have to feel any guilt or shame. It's beautiful. Nice to see you. This practice has literally saved my life. And I'm sitting here with gratitude, very grateful for the opportunity to learn from you uh, these last few weeks. I've been inspired by your practice. It wasn't so long ago that I was out there with you, tired of my mind waiting for a Dharma talk so I could have some bits to chew on. I've been inspired by your practice. The carrying over, those of you who have been here, those of you who have just arrived, feels like forever, right? And I'm humbled, actually, to sit on this the stage, you know, it's not really a stage, but a platform. Humbled by the experience and the wisdom of the teachers. A lot of skill. So, I was given uh, an assignment. My assignment was to talk about metta and introduce the Brahma Viharas. And when I received the email, immediately aversion went up. <laughs> aversion rushed through my heart. But it was quickly subsided with delight. And that, that feels good. Yeah. What I'm hoping to uh, get through tonight is um, really my own exploration uh, in retreat, yeah, in study. In uh, my understanding, how I've kind of under, understood it or begun to understand the Dharma, Brahma Viharas, Metta. And then from my own experience. So I'd like to start with a, I was going to start with a joke actually, but there's been two jokes and I think there's a three joke minimum. I mean, (laughs) maximum. So I don't want to cut John off. He likes to tell jokes. So I'll start with a poem. It's one that speaks to me. Oh mind, you carry on your back. Your actions are like a heavy sack. No wonder that your shoulders ache. Another strains enough to break your neck. So drop this stupid load. This is the last stop on the road. Stay. Be love's guest. 
Kabir wrote that. I like Kabir. You know, I was thinking uh, earlier, um, after Philip was leading the Brahma Viharas, and I was bowing to the Buddha and the Prajnaparamita, really the expression on the Buddha's face is the perfect example of metta to me. Just this slightly upturned smile, this kind of ease and welcoming of whatever. Allow it to be. So that ran through my mind earlier. I wasn't sure I was going to say it, but I did, so there it goes. (laughs) Four sublime states. This has been taught by the Buddha. Friendliness or loving kindness, otherwise known as metta. Compassion, this quivering of the heart towards suffering, this care. Karuna. Selfless joy, otherwise known as mudita. And then equanimity or balance, otherwise known as umpeka. So each of us rookies are going to be taking a swing over over this month. I'm first at bat. One of my colleagues uh, compares this, uh, these Brahma Viharas, these uh, sublime uh, states, to the four chambers of the heart. I think that's just beautiful. How poetic and real. These four chambers of the heart that work together to bring us, give us life continuously. Brahma Vihara, sublime states. In Pali, uh, the Buddhist scripture, the language of the Buddhist scripture, there's these, f- they're, they're also known not just uh, as Brahma Viharas, but as excellent or lofty, sublime states of mind. Divine abodes. Which the Buddha taught as a direct counterbalance to the unskillful, entangled, or unhelpful states of mind. I'm sure you know what those are, yeah? at least by now. Right? So I'm going to just give a brief, I mean that was my brief actually, uh, but I am going to speak a little bit uh, more about the Brahma Viharas uh, and then move into just really focusing on metta for the rest of the evening. But I thought I would say a little bit about myself. Uh, Some of you I've seen over the years, but we've never really spoken. And the last time I was here on retreat, I left early. Just a day or two. But I had to get out of here. (laughs) So when I was 16, I was introduced to meditation. First through a psychologist who... um, kind of prescribed it as uh, anger therapy, anger management therapy, because I needed some of that. And uh, it was helpful. Not at first, you know, it was a little hokey and kind of, but 
the experience, as I'm sure you know, was helpful. My story about it and why I was never going to do it again, that wasn't so helpful. So then later through martial arts, uh, I studied an Okinawan form of karate do, and there was Sazen, the beginning and the end, three days a week for like eight years. And I was never given one instruction besides hajime, which means begin, and then a clack at the end. That was it. So, you know, I had up until that time tried to seek out pleasure and avoid pain, as many of us do, avoiding painful feelings and trying to check out of whatever was happening in my life. I was an escape artist. I was always trying to escape whatever the experience was, actually, because it usually just felt negative or undesirable. Uh, I didn't like me very much. I didn't like my life very much. This was a survival strategy, actually, and uh, it worked for a time, but it left me feeling dissatisfied with life and unhappy. Mindfulness, you know, was helpful in quieting the mind and seeing the impermanent nature of things. You know, in the beginning, they just kind of happened. I didn't have a lot of instruction. I didn't actually know anything about Buddhism for years. I think I'm actually pretty happy about that now. But I just got to understand this practice before it was even called mindfulness, you know. So I got to see the thoughts and feelings that were not just arise, or I got to see that the thoughts and feelings were just arising and passing away, not me. So eventually I found out that that wasn't enough. This uh, mindful awareness wasn't enough. And I had heard about, you know, metta, and I just cringed. I really did. But as I learned about Buddhism, I began to investigate and I came across this article on the Sublime States by Nyanaponikatera. And he writes, these four attitudes are said to be excellent or sublime because they are the right or ideal way of conduct towards living beings. That they provide, in fact, the answer to all situations arising from social contact. That they are the great removers of tension the great peacemakers in social conflict, the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle of existence. They level social barriers, build harmonious communities, awaken slumbering nobility long forgotten, revive joy and hope long abandoned, and promote human brotherhood against the forces of egotism. Got my attention. I was like, okay, okay, not quite ready to give it a try, but I was listening. I was cool with my in and out breath, feeling the body sensations. So, you know, I've come to understand, and as many of you probably have, that uh, there's these two wings that is talked about here this practice. There's the wing of wisdom 
and the wing of compassion or the wing of you know, insight and the wing of uh, heart practices. And that the, the bird I th- often think of as the phoenix or a quetzal, the birds of freedom, birds of transformation, it takes both wings. But I didn't understand that 10, 15 years ago. I just wanted some wisdom because I thought that was important, which it is, very important. But it's not enough. But in my own kind of ignorance and whatnot, I didn't, didn't really see that. <laughs> so I had developed this uh, Dharma soldier you know, trained in Thailand, was a martial arts, arts, you know, guy, you know, this kind of hard, ardent, you know, follow the breath, in, out, <laughs> focus the mind. I was very, I was, that was my practice. <laughs> it wasn't very funny. <laughs> it hurt. But you know what? It was good in the sense that I learned something. I learned that I could push myself. I, I learned that, that the pain that comes in the body, it doesn't stay. It rises, it passes away. I learned that um, when doubt arose in my mind, that I could go forth. You keep going. It was helpful. Until I had a really bad breakup. A heart broken experience you know and I couldn't meditate I just couldn't meditate I'd try you know went to this Zen center in Santa Cruz where I'm from no peace would come I was just plagued obsessed and then I just remembered some simple phrases because I had practiced you know I had sat with Mary Grace of Apostle of Santa Cruz sat with Noah Noah Levine, one of my teachers. Diana Winston a bit. Come up here for a few day longs. So I'd heard the fra- some of the phrases of metta, but they didn't appeal to me until I had nothing left to do. You know, uh, Mary Grace jokingly talked about desperation the other night. Uh, I was desperate. And so I began as I was uh, just plagued with obsessive thoughts and, you know, uh, unworthiness and loneliness and, you know, just broken. And then angry and resentful and how could she and she abandoned me and all this story, you know, that just, and I just... I just said, okay, I'll give this metta a try. I might have talked with Noah, actually, and he was like, maybe give metta a try. You know, if the Buddha taught it, probably helpful. (laughs) That's our relationship. So I began, you know, I remember the evening. I began, uh, you know, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering. I really was emphasizing the free from suffering. And then that would go for a while, just repeating again and again, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering. And then anger would arise, and she did this to me, and then may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be free from suffering. 
And that was all I could do. And my mind eventually settled a bit. A bit. But I, I made it through. I wasn't convinced. But I made it through. It was helpful. So just to back up a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about these four and kind of how I see them. I kind of see them as a house. Metta is this foundation. And, and I had a hard time with the loving kindness bit because I didn't feel very loving or kind and I didn't feel very... Um, the people that I saw that were like talking about loving and kind, they seemed a little lost to me actually. A little joy, joy, too much. Like too much on the other wing, you know? And not enough balance. And I didn't want that. I was a little frightened by it actually. Like that's a little, you're a little too blissed out, bro. There's some suffering going on, you know? <laughs> and... um <laughs> So this meta, this foundation, you know, I think about it as uh, unconditional positive regard because it really helps me ease, it helped me ease into it. It wasn't like loving and kind. It was like my grandmother, you know, which I love her. She's very kind. She was, she's dead now, but she still was very kind and loving. Probably still is, yeah. But this uh, unconditional positive regard, I could get with that with everyone. I could just say, okay, I don't know you, but I can give you unconditional positive regard. I could send that to you. So this foundation, uh, this kind of original goodness is uh, the foundation of our house that we're rebuilding. And then I see forgiveness actually, which isn't one of the Brahma Viharas, but it is. We, we, Philip talked about it today and it's, it's foundational. It's actually in the Metta Sutta in my opinion. Maybe we'll get to. So forgiveness is the floor, the ground, the place where we start to build compassion, uh, the framework, uh, selfless joy, the, the, the walls, the rooms. And then equanimity, the, the roof that protects it all. from the storm of life. This is the way I think about it right now. Could change. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really very interested in the heart practices, you know. My, uh, my heart was just fine. Armored, protected from further pain. <laughs> you know? There's a, another few lines by uh, Nyanaponika. He writes, The contemplation of these attitudes are said to aid in the disintegration of greed, hatred, and delusion and should become the constant dwelling place for the mind. The constant dwelling place for the mind. That's lofty. But Possible. I believe it is. So I think about um, 
you know, there was, we were talking about the hindrances the other night and uh, this morning, and some of you have been talking about them and your interviews. And uh, So I'll just briefly talk about them, you know. Uh, the hindrances, sensual desire, fantasy, craving, wanting, aversion, dislike, pushing away, avoidance, anger, ill will, sloth and torpor, which always makes me think of a sloth, like the, you know, Sleepiness, laziness, sluggishness of mind. That's one of my favorite ways. Sleepy mind. Restlessness or remorse, agitation, distraction, doubt, questioning, lack of belief in the benefits of meditation. This has been a huge doubt piece for me in the beginning. Nyanaponika had this to say about the importance of these Brahma Viharas. Meditative development of the sublime states will be aided and by repeated reflection upon their qualities, the benefits they bestow, and the dangers from their opposites. What are their opposites? I'm sure you know. They're the five hindrances. They're the envies and the greeds and the I don't care. The Buddha also pointed to this by saying, you know, what a person considers and reflects upon for a long time, to that his mind will bend and incline. So if we're feeding and feeding the hindrances, then we become hindered you know in our meditative practice and i think even if we become so like ardent that we uh we have to get it right we have to you know each step is beautiful to be be concentrated and collect the mind that way but also this this other gentleness which again i didn't have for a long time so i'm speaking from experience I have a lot of notes. <laughs> Nyanaponikatera uh, also called them the great removers of tension, the great peacemakers in social conflict, the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle of existence. Yeah. That was what was happening for me when I uh, just finally decided loving kindness was a practice. I was really struggling with that. So I believe that in Vipassana, you know, we're learning to rebel or ignore against the conceptual mind. At least at first, you know. Uh, Ignore the mind in all of its, you know, stuff. All of its just repetitive stories. Let's see what's underneath. At first, this was my instruction. This was, it was helpful. And then in loving kindness, this is you know, my opinion, I believe that we are re-engaging this conceptual mind, but also to purify it and reshape it towards the greater good. This is the way I see kind of the way Vipassana uh, uh, mindfulness practice and 
kind of insight practice. You know, we've been talking a lot about embodiment, and it's, it's great, it's beautiful. So this embodied practice of can we be aware of what's happening, but then in the metta or in the you know, afternoons, we're re-engaging this conceptual mind, visualizing people, uh, uh, going through the phrases. But we're doing it for the greater good, to help cleanse our mind. My mind's dirty, you know? I didn't mean that to say, sound that way. <laughs> but, but by focusing on our own good nature and the good nature of others, you know, this aids in the disintegration of resentment and anger and separation, which causes so much of our suffering. So I learned to develop metta in this present time awareness, which I'll talk about a little bit more. I call kind awareness. So Ajahn Sumedho, I heard Ajahn Sumedho talk once about uh, metta. Uh, I think, pretty, pretty sure I was in Thailand. I'm not, I'm not positive, but he said it, it's easy to send metta to a thousand people, but more difficult to hold our mother-in-law or our boss in a quality of metta. Like it's easy to extend this metta out to the faceless people that are loving and kind and you know, it's easy to do that. But harder to really hold our, those who are challenging or who we just see regularly and have a little, uh, a little aversion towards, you know? So I think patience comes into play here. Seeing impatience as suffering and a cause of anger or resentment. You know, we can turn our attention to developing uh, patience for our impatience, developing patience for our impatience right here, right now, walking down to the dining hall or someone doesn't hold the door open for you, how dare you, right, in your mind. They must not like me. (laughs) This mind, (laughs) it's funny. So, Patience for our impatience. Tolerance where we are intolerant. Can we have a little, I think that metta is about, can I have a little tolerance to the intolerance of my knee pain or the intolerance of my, you know, afflicted mind? (laughs) Anger, fear, resentment, aversion, avoidance. These can be considered these habits of mind, one of the hindrances. The Buddha gave metta as an antidote to these reactive aspects of mind. So I'd like to talk about anger for just a little bit. I don't think anger gets a fair shake. I've actually heard it a bit here in this retreat, which I appreciate. I was pretty angry for a long time. But you know, it was a protection. I had to be angry. Just where I grew up, who I grew up with, it was necessary, I thought. You know, that's where it was the survival strategy for a time. 
at some point I found out, you know, this isn't my fault. This being angry all the time, this lashing out. And that was really helpful. So I want to say that to you. It's not your fault. It's not our fault. Anger, aversion, resentment, obsessive, just, you know, the habits of mind. The ones we don't like. It's not our fault. We're not to blame. But, you know, we are responsible. Response-able. I love that. Response-able. We're able to respond because we've been given metta. Because we've been given these Brahma-viharas. Because we've been practicing to settle the mind and to uh, check in what's happening here in this body. This fathom-long body. What's going on here? Anger and fear are cousins. They're very related. Both are based on a strategy to protect ourselves from, perceive, from a perceived threat, whether that threat is real in the present moment or a perception based on past hurts or, mistreats, or mistreatments. So this is a trip, right? We could be right here and someone could walk by our view And this whole perception based on past experience could arise. I had an experience here on retreat. In a former life, in a former incarnation, I was a boxer. And I was sparring uh, once with this guy from another gym. This was years ago. And he, he hit me uh, you know, kind of, it was like a uh, sucker punch. He just kind of sucker punched me. I mean, we were sparring, but still. Uh, he was, wasn't following the rules. He wanted to get a shot in on me. And it pretty much broke my nose. And so later on retreat, a, several, a few retreats actually this has happened, where uh, I, if I have any kind of congestion or whatever, one of my nostrils doesn't work. Breath is my primary meditation object. So I would just get pissed. And then I would replay the, the, the vision, the story over and over and over and over about this is, it's because of this guy that I can't meditate right now. <laughs> this is a true story. But you know, the beautiful thing is that uh, it helped me to shift. I it took me a few days, but then I realized, oh, I could just shift my attention to the body. <laughs> <laughs> or walking, or, you know. Spacious awareness. There's all these other, you know, tools. But I had one tool, and it was uh, working good most of the time. But I, and, and I also would notice that when my, when my tension would arise, the, and the aversive story would arise, uh, that it would be harder to breathe. But when I, if I was able to relax and able to calm, that then my nostrils would open up. So that was like also just, you know, the sensitivity of awareness. But I was able to, uh, I'll get back to the boxer guy, because I, I was able to work with some forgiveness around that. Right here, you know, resentment arises, aversion arises. We're in a unique opportunity to work with it. So from the, uh, 
So for some, anger protects the heart from pain by lashing out against any potential threat. This doesn't have to be a physical lashing out. You know, it can be an emotional lashing out or a verbal lashing out or a, uh, just a mental lashing out to ourselves or to others. While fear, you know, backs us away or avoids based on the same principle as, of protection. So this is part of our instinctual reaction to life. Fight, flight, freeze. You've probably heard that. Fight, this kind of anger pattern, aversive pattern. Flight, this avoidance, this pushing away. And freeze, you know, this numb, numbing experience and or escape, escaping. I find that, uh, you know, bringing in the Vedanas, we've been talking about the four foundations of mindfulness and bringing in the Vedanas here can be really helpful to see the pleasant, unpleasant and sending metta, right? Unconditional positive regard, friendliness, kindness to the aversion, just right there in the moment. It's been helpful for me seeing the mind's tendency to escape unpleasant or painful physical or mental phenomena. There was a, a time on retreat where I, I was sitting and I would have a knee pain or is it some, some kind of lower back pain or something. And I was, I was noting it and being aware of it and expanding, you know, all the instructions. And then I, my mind was just off in a fantasy, a pleasurable experience. And I caught it. I, I was like, oh, there's my mind over there in this pleasurable experience. And then without judgment, but with a kind awareness, I just brought the attention back and I was like, okay, so what's going on here in this body where my mind wants to escape? Oh, pain, physical sensations. And then I was able to just explore it. So sending that kind of uh, infused metta I use that a lot, actually. So we can learn to see anger or fear as an opportunity to practice loving kindness and forgiveness. Hmm. There's a phrase that I've adopted to help ease fear and doubt when they arise. And fear and doubt, you know, fear interesting for me. It usually comes up as doubt or unworthiness. Uh, I got this from one of my colleagues and I've adopted it because I love it. I love you. Keep going. I love you. Keep going. And just even like as a uh, just repeated phrase, I love you. Keep going. I love you. Keep going. No, meditation is horrible. I need to stop. I love you. Keep going. I'll never get that job. I love you. Keep going. I love you, keep going. Mm. I offer that to you. Let's bring in a little Buddha. From the Dhammapada. Hatred never dispels hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, 
how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me, beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? That's my favorite line, that last one. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? That's saying forgiveness is so important. You know? Is it really that important to hold on to that? I thought so for a long time. I mean, I still do. I'm not perfect, you know? I was working on some forgiveness today, right? It's a skillful means, this forgiveness practice. We can forgive in our hearts and never let them in our house again. So freeing when I heard that. Another really freeing thing I heard, you know, I heard uh, I was at a wise heart conference with Jack and Trudy and some other people and Jack said, you know, it's his famous, one of his famous quotes, right? (laughs) You know that one. (laughs) Forgiveness is giving up hope for a better past. Forgiveness is giving up hope for a better past. When I first heard that, it just dropped into my being. And I was like, oh yeah, it's gone that anger, that thing that happened, that, you know, not enough, abandonment, whatever, gone. And it's not going to be better. It just is. Actually, it isn't. It only is in the moment when I bring it back up. You know? That was huge. (laughs) Yeah. Guilt, regret, or remorse. You know, sometimes they're so intense, it plagues the mind, right? Like when, when I had that breakup, I was just guilt and remorse, my part and her part and regret. And, you know, if I would have done this differently and that rehashing and rehearsing and maybe, and if I write this love letter the right way, you know, just all this back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes forgiveness is just the best way to kind of clear some of that out, especially the guilt and the regret, the remorse. So Philip talked about uh, forgiveness and gave the, uh, some of the kind of traditional uh, phrases. And I, you know, so I'm not going to go into that, but I do want to just point out this one point that I heard uh, at a, a retreat. I'm just a learner in this life. There was something freeing about that in the forgiveness because the part about, you know, please forgive me. I'm just a learner in this life. That's not saying it wasn't my fault, I didn't have a part. It's saying I'm learning here. Aren't you? We're learning. That was freedom for me. There was a, just a moment of like, oh yeah, I could open up to that. I can o- open up to asking my dad to forgive me 
for hating him. I could do that. I'm just a learner in this life. (laughs) As I am a learner in this life, so too are you, right? So as I was and as I have and as I will continue uh, to send that towards people that uh, I want to forgive. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I see that you're a learner in this life too. There was something freeing about that for me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Don't take anything I say. See for yourself, right? You have to take this in. I like that. This is the simple version of forgiveness. Which is, please forgive me. I forgive you. I forgive myself. And I actually like to do it during walking. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I forgive myself. And not, it could be pointed towards one person or it could be expanded to all beings. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I forgive myself. Simple and deep. So there's so many different ways to talk about Meta to work with Meta on retreat or in our lives. I only have a few more minutes. <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty good. Meta. I'm going to do the Meta Suta breakdown. I'll be kind of quick about this. I actually got this from Sylvia, um, but I, I added my own version. Sylvia did this on retreat once and I was like, oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We've been chanting this every night, right? So I've been thinking about it every evening as it, as it breaks down. You know, this is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. That's a tall order. That's saying, be enlightened before you start this. That's kind of the way I hear it, you know? So I like to see that as an aspiration, an intention. Because the last thing we want to do is beat ourselves up about doing this practice wrong. I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm not, I'm not humble. I'm pretty damn conceited. I can't, I can't do metta. That's kind of a little bit like I was a little afraid about metta in the beginning because I was like, oh, well, that's definitely not talking to me because I am not perfect. So I think of that as uh, an intention, an aspiration, this kind of lofty, beautiful goal. I think the Buddha does that with a lot of his teachings, you know. He is the enlightened one. He's saying, catch up. So some of that is also uh, an ethical integrity piece, you know, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways. 
not proud or demanding. There's this way in which, you know, we're talking about ethical integrity. So then here's the, uh, the practice. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they be weak or strong, omitting none. Okay, let's back up. So the phrases, that's pretty much the phrases right there. And then the omitting none, okay, we get it. Everyone, everything, the whole deal and beyond, beyond what we know. Oh, that comes later. Yeah, seen and unseen, near or far away. Those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Hmm. Let none deceive another. Honesty, honesty to self, honesty to others. Let none deceive another. Or despise any beings in any state. Or despise. So this talks about forgiveness to me. This is where forgiveness comes into play. Forgiveness in our heart. Or wish harm upon another, right? Oh, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Right? Be in safety. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths and outwards and unbounded. This is what Philip was talking about the first day of metta. This radiating, you know, imbued metta in all directions, up, down, all around. Beautiful, this radiating. I really like that. Freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from, free from drowsiness. So any time, in any posture, we can do this practice. This is also, I think, leads to the concentration practice of you know, repeating the phrase over and over with each step, sitting, walking, transitions, you know, some of that concentration that metta can be really helpful for, or all the Brahma Viharas, really. Is this making sense? Okay. They're not my words, so. <laughs> One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Freedom through metta is possible. That's what I believe that says. And not holding on to fixed views. In other words, don't try to get locked into metta's the only way. Actually, I think it, that's my interpretation right there. I think that happens sometimes in Buddhism. We get locked into fixed views. It's this way, it's that way. We just do that, right? Manda, yeah. comparing mind. All right, where was I? So that, I, 
I think that about covers the, you know, the metasutta breakdown. And then, so repeating these phrases, when the mind is, aff- is afflicted. I wasn't sure about this, actually. And then what happened, as I was on retreat some years ago, right here, probably about right now, actually, about six, seven days in, and there was this pestilence in my mind. You know, this aversive, the, the new group had come, the old group had gone, and I was unbalanced, and I was concentrated before, and not anymore, and I was just like, it was like being thrown in my mind. And I went to uh, go speak with one of the teachers, and they said, have you ever done uh, metta as concentration practice? And I was like, no, but I've been interested in it. And then so she said, why don't you give it a try? In a very loving voice. And I said, okay. And I did. And I tried it. And it was really helpful. Not at first, but it was helpful. It was challenging. A new challenge. But what happened is that that balance started to take place. But then there was this, let me tell this one story. I told Don, I would tell this story. So, during the pestilence, I, had, uh, I couldn't sit in the hall. Maybe some of you who have been here for two months have experienced this. And so I went and I found a platform. I was sitting on the platform, you know, and it was beautiful. And it had my umbrella and the cushions. And I was like, oh, yes, and the, you know, open air. And it was just nice. And then as I'm meditating, I heard thump, 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 heavy footsteps. Thump, 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 thump. And then there was a stop right before the platform. And I'm thinking in my mind, okay, they're going to see I'm sitting here and they're going to, you know, there's like me and right here. That's the, (laughs) but no, this person gets up on the platform, lays down. And I'm like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm just going to be with this experience. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. And then a few minutes later, (laughs) and I was like, really? (laughs) Really? So I got up, I bowed to this person, and I left. And I had some forgiveness in my heart, actually. Apparently this person really, you know, they had only been here not for very long. They were really tired right on my meditation platform. (laughs) Yeah. I told Don I would say that. So I just have one more um, piece, actually. The The repeated phrase, you know, helpful. Help to stabilize my mind. The mind, really. It's not my mind. It's just the mind. It's like, it's not my thoughts, just thoughts. They come, they go. So a piece happened when I was doing that concentration where eventually I kind of dropped most of the words and really just stuck with, may I feel safe? Because what came up for me is one, there wasn't about being safe. That didn't fit with me. I let it go. I threw it out. 
I love that the Buddha was like, if it doesn't fit, throw it out. Find something that fits and works that's still within the frame. I love that. Because I wasn't into dogma when I came here. So this safety, I started to use, I've never felt safe in my life, ever. There was no, never a time growing up where I could feel safe. And so I had to work. It was really deep, actually. You know, Philip was talking about today, these layers, as we get more concentrated, do more practice, there's these layers. And so this was just a few years ago. Uh, I was working with, may I feel safe? Because, you know, we're at Spirit Rock. There's like Bambi and, you know, there's like hawks flying and the, you know, it's like Snow White or something. Like the, you know, the animals are talking to you. They do, right? They talk to you. The birds, they're like, hi. There's like a little, anyway. I mean, that was been my, like, when I first came here, I was really aversive to this whole place. I was like, this place way too quiet. <laughs> I left listening to punk rock music. And it was a good day long though. I'd had enough. Anyway, may I feel safe. May I feel safe. 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 And then something broke open. This like eight years old Never felt safe. Always had to protect myself. Armor up. This is life. Deal with it. Broke open. Not all of it, but a piece. Purification. This is what's talked about. I have a tattoo on the back of my neck, on the back of my, behind my ear. It's a black heart broken open. A lot of people, they oh, it's a broken heart. Well, it's that too. But it's also a black heart, broken open. I'll end with this final quote from Carl Jung. I like Carl. Your vision will become clear only when you look into your heart. Those who look outside dream. Who looks inside awakens. Your vision will become clear only when you look into your heart. Who looks outside dreams. Who looks inside awakens. But don't take my word for it. See for yourself. Adi Pasiko. See for yourself. Thank you for your attention, for your time, for your practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.